Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Hey, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a traditional Bible and you want one and you're comfortable with raising your hand, do that. And one of my friends here, they will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open up the version. It's also called the Bible app. And we've already uploaded all the notes all the scriptures, everything in there. We'll also put everything up on the screen behind me to make it as easy as we can for you. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, love you guys. So glad that you are a part of our family and love you guys. So glad you're part of our family. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in here. Would you give a hand to all the dads in this place today? Dads and grandpas and... Let me just talk about something real quick and just get this out of the way. The disparity in the spending between Mother's Day and Father's Day, it is out of control. $32 billion per year is spent on Mother's Day. $3.8 billion per year is spent on Father's Day. And so if you haven't bought your dad a gift, trust me, he won't say this because he's low maintenance. He wants more than a card. He doesn't want a Starbucks gift card. He doesn't need any more underwear or a new tie. So go out and buy him so that ask him if there's anything that he would really like. And so anyway, it's happy Father's Day to my dad. He, he is at one of our gatherings actually in Canada, and they watch every week. And so happy Father's Day. Love you, Dad. Happy Juneteenth. This is the first time that I remember it falling right here on a Sunday. And so we honor uh, you guys. It's so excited uh, to be here today, to be back here. Really, what a great message by Rabbi Matt last week as I watched that. Uh, I thought, not only am I going to have him more often, like I want to have him be a regular part of our speaking rotation, uh, but it, it also made me realize that I need to have more voices speaking into your life, partially because I got such great feedback from you about the speakers that we had in the Rise After the Fall series, but also uh, because I have increasingly been feeling God pushing Pastor Sonny and I to step more into our apostolic calling. Like if you were here a few weeks ago when you took the spiritual gifts test, you'll know that one of the spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about is called apostleship and that God has given some people an apostolic gifting where uh, they've been given the gifting and the calling to not only starting churches, but to mentoring church leaders. And I was a little bit surprised in the list of my spiritual gifts that apostleship is number two, which, which made a few things makes sense to me because over the course of the last year or 18 months, there's been a number of churches who have reached out asking Pastor Sonny and I to not only mentor their pastors, but to take their churches on as extension sites of Life Church to expand what it is that God's doing, like Augusta, Georgia, Knoxville, Tennessee, Seattle, Toronto, Canada, plus the Packers have asked if I would kind of travel with them again this season now that we conquered COVID. The head coach of my son's college that he's going to go play for called me and asked me if I would be a spiritual voice in the lives. They've never had a spiritual coach within that 
climate. And so he asked if I would kind of speak into the lives of those kids. And all of those things totally fit into our mission statement as a church, that Life Church exists to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the people of the 920 and beyond. And those things, those are the beyond. And so although I have no intention of like leaving Green Bay, I have no desire to leave Life Church, I, I have felt God leading Pastor Sonny and I to step into this apostolic season and to help the beyond. Because the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are pastors and churches around North America that are crumbling. They are under attack. Did you know over 1,400 pastors just give up and walk away from their churches every single month? Over 7,500 churches close, just shutter up the doors. And this is not COVID related, just 7,500 churches per year, just determined that they're going to close. I think it's not a Walgreens. And that happens because they're wounded, because it's hard. And when that happens to pastors and to churches, it leaves people wounded. And it makes it even harder to live for Jesus in what might be the most difficult time to serve Jesus that the world has ever seen. And so I say all that to say that I want to talk about that idea today in a message that we're calling Trouble in the Last Days. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. You are great and greatly to be praised. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the dads on this side of the screen and on the other side of the screen at this gathering and at our other gatherings really around the world. God, thank you uh, for you, for you being our ultimate father. God, I pray blessings on my my friends here today, I pray that as we leave this place, we would be a little bit like, less like us and a whole lot more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last Sunday while Rabbi Matt was here, Pastor Sonny and I were actually at another church in Seattle called Champion Center, and the pastor there is a guy named Kevin Gerald. He's going to be here later this summer. He actually spoke this very fascinating message about David from the scriptures. And you, you know David, you, you could call him King David, you could call him the Shepherd King, you could call him a lot of different things. But he talked about how David was a worshiping warrior. I think sometimes when we think about characters in the Bible, they're very two-dimensional to us. And sometimes when we think about David, we, we think about a very uh, Baroque period, feminine, sort of feathered hair, skinny, small, kind of dude. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who, who was the baddest dude on the planet. Like, like he, had, he had killed wild animals. He was known as a giant slayer. Not only did he kill Goliath, we know the story that he, he killed Goliath, but he cleaned out the family business too. He killed Goliath and then hunted down his big old ugly gigantic brothers too. And he was such a mighty warrior, David, that the people of Israel had a song that they would sing about how he had slayed his tens of thousands. But I think what's even more remarkable about David was that while he was being a mighty warrior, he was also being an unapologetic worshiper. And he sang and he danced and he worshiped God and men were drawn to that. They were attracted to that. And I'm not talking about mamby-pamby, wimpy, like I'm talking about the men of men were drawn to David. Gnarly dudes who had beards and tattoos and scars and teeth missing like they played professional hockey. One of them defeated 300 men with just his spear. Another one single-handedly defeated an entire regiment 
of Philistine warriors. That's about 800 men. Another one, he stood in the middle of a field and he defended that field from hundreds of attackers until he stood alone at the center with his hand frozen to his sword. The Bible calls them David's mighty men. 37 guys who had pasts, who had baggage, who had criminal records, guys who were on the run, who were outcasts, all of whom were drawn to David, the man after God's own heart. And, and those guys, as they spent time with him, they, they not only became more ferocious warriors, because when you put a bunch of fighters in a room together, what they do is they teach each other their secret tactics. They all learn how to be better fighters together. But the more that they spent time with David, what was more fascinating is that they all became unapologetic worshipers who sang and danced and worshiped God. And that's probably the thing I love most about this church, that this church is filled with guys like that. Guys who are not two-dimensional, mamby-pamby, paper-thin people. I'm talking about guys who are gnarly. We are, this is a church filled with gnarly dudes who if you're going to go into an alley with somebody, you want to go into an alley with that guy. Guys who have served in the military and guys who have been taught how to fight and how to defend who they are. And I'm, I'm talking about guys who on one hand, you wouldn't want to pick a fight with them, but on the other hand, when the songs begin, you see those dudes with their hands up worshiping God. God and unapologetically becoming who it is that God had called them to be. And so this is a church that for the last 10 years has been, has been a draw to the men of the men. It's funny because anytime that we have guest speakers come in, one of the things that they talk about most is the, is the large population of dudes that we have in this church. Most churches are predominantly filled with females. And yet when you come here, you have guys that, you know, they're, they have courage and they have character and they are worshiping. And, and it's good because trouble is on its way. When I think about that, I think about uh, an old Western. I used to hate Westerns. I used to hate two things, Westerns and country music. It's because those are the things my dad loved. And it didn't have anything to do with the fact that my dad loved him. It just felt like an old guy thing to like. Like it's, you know, old dudes like country. Country music is so sad. First of all, oh my God. Except now country music is pop from the 90s. It's changed. Country music used to have like some grit to it. You know what I'm saying? Somebody was getting left by somebody. Now it's just K-pop from Nashville. And so I used to hate Westerns because I was like, bro, this is, this is weird. And, but I was starting to think about this thing when it's like troubles on the way. You ever watch a Western and you got the guy and he's kind of scarred up and he's got the hat that you couldn't pull off. He's got a cigar in his mouth and he didn't cut it with a cutter. He like snapped it off with his teeth. It looks like a Slim Jim that's on fire. You feel me? He's kind of got it hanging out of his mouth and he's chewing on it. He's got the perfect stubble and brown teeth and he says, trouble is on its way. That's what that feels like. It feels like when you think about our culture, we need guys who will be worshiping warriors because trouble, man, it's on its way. And Paul, the author of this letter that we've been talking about for weeks, he talks about that. He writes this letter to his spiritual son, his apprentice, Timothy, and he says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. I mean, anyone else think we're living in the last days? Anyone else think we're living in the end times? Have you got gas lately? Have you bought groceries lately? Have you looked at your, 
checking account lately? Have you talked about inflation lately? Have you looked at the diseases that are spreading? Does it feel like there's more disease now than there's ever been? It feels like, remember in the 80s, anybody who ever used to watch the WWF and they used to have a thing called the Battle Royale. And it starts with one dude in the ring. And every 30 seconds, they ring a bell, boom, and another guy walks down. The, and you're like, oh, snap, here comes George the Animal Steel. And they fight, and then another 30 seconds, and another guy comes in. That's what the sickness feels like right now. It feels like it's a battle royale competing for who could be the most uncurable disease. You're like, you know what? If you thought COVID was bad, da 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 watch out for monkeypox. It's like, what? Are you kidding? me? Why are you trying to kill all of us? Why is gas so much money? It's ridiculous. Feels like. Did you run out since the last time? Because I was just on the West Coast. It was $7 a gallon. The devil is a liar. I'll just stay home for $7 a gallon. It feels like the end times. And you know what? Every generation has, has thought that it was the end times. And every one of them has been right. Because from the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, we entered the last days. And as his imminent return draws closer, anticipation and pressure increases. It's kind of like getting ready for a trip. You ever go on a trip and you haven't been on a trip in a long time? And so you kind of panic. And the closer that it gets to the trip date, the more panic begins to set in. The night before especially. Have you ever... Have you ever had a divorce-worthy fight the night before you were going on your, you know, second honeymoon trip? Did you not get the three-ounce toothpaste? What are we going to do without the little bottle of scope? You better get to the Walmart right now, and you better buy all the little travel. You panic. You're not used to it. You like get this anxiety about it, and you don't know how much you can pack and how much is the bag going to cost to put the bag in. And Paul says, this is what it's like now, spiritually. He says, mark this. Count on it. There are going to be terrible times. And the Greek word that is used here to be translated into the English word terrible is the same Greek word that was used by a guy named Mark as he was writing his gospel, and he was talking about a demon-possessed guy in the Gadarenes. And as the story goes, there was this guy, and he was uh, demon-possessed, which is why they called him a demon-possessed guy, and he was a terror. He just was, he was making drama and trouble for everyone in that region, and he was incredibly violent, and he was angry. He was uncontrollable. There, there weren't any shackles or chains that could hold him. He'd just rip all of them apart. Nothing could come against the terror that this guy inflicted on his entire region until Jesus came along and cast the demonic spirit of violence and rebellion out of him. And so when Paul is using the same Greek word for terrible as, as Mark used for terror, what he's saying is that same kind of aggression and opposition is what characterizes these last days. So in verses two through nine, he gives 19 descriptors of evil people and he sandwiches them. He, he bookends them, if you will, with, with what those people love and what they don't love. 
In verses two through four, he speaks of their moral conduct. And then in verses five through nine, he speaks of their religious life. So first, he talks about their moral conduct. He says, these people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's bad. He said that's what people in the end days will naturally be inclined to be like. Humanity is endowed by God with two capabilities perception and inclination. Now, perception is humanity's ability to take in information and process it. Inclination, on the other hand, is how that information makes us feel. And that inclination comes in three phases, love, like, and indifference. We either love it or hate it, which makes us strongly attracted to or repelled by something. We like it or dislike it, which makes us weakly attracted to or repelled by something, or we're totally indifferent. We have have no opinion one way or another. And there are lots of things that I am totally indifferent toward, like the Stanley Cup right now. The fact that Tampa, Florida, Canadians are the most patient, kind, loving people on earth, except maybe the Swedish. But let's, for the sake of argument, let's say our neighbors to the north are the most giving, apologetic, kind people you'll ever meet. Nobody ever goes, I hate Canada. What? Do you hate kindness and maple? Like, that's what is wrong with you? They don't ask for much. All Canadians want is maple and hockey. I could care less about this Stanley Cup because it feels like it should be Toronto and Montreal. That would feel appealing. It, it It would be as if when there used to be two Canadian basketball teams, how interested would you be if the Toronto Raptors and the Vancouver Grizzlies were in the NBA Finals, you'd go, the world has gone to hell. This is ridiculous. How are the Canadians? Even though none of the players are, are Canadian on those two basketball teams, you would be totally indifferent to it. You'd go, why would I even care about those two teams? I have, so the Stanley Cup, I, just, I, I have no opinion. I have no inclination one way or the other. I'm, I'm totally indifferent. And Paul is saying, in the last days, you're going to have all three of those things, but, but it's going to be terrible because more people than not are going to love themselves, but hate God. A spirit is going to come upon our culture that's going to bind people, shackle them, keep them in chains, and they're going to be violent and they're going to be rebellious toward the things of God. I don't know if you've seen this, but this is becoming increasingly evident that our culture is becoming increasingly violent and rebellious to any principle that is taught as truth in this book. But he says what's going to make it even more difficult for us to deal with or even identify is that, is that it won't always be overt. It'll be shrouded by a spirit of indifference, which, which makes Paul then talk about their religious life. He says they'll have a form of godliness, 
but they will deny its power. And in Paul's day, the churches or synagogues, they were filled with people like that. They would put on what was called their garment of praise or their, their church robes, and they would go perform all the ceremonies while still mistreating people, while still cheating people, because God wasn't the center of their lives. He was ceremonial. It was just tradition. All they were doing was hedging their bets. And this is lots of Christians in North America today. They don't look, sound, or act any different than the rest of the world. So Paul says, hey, don't have anything to do with those people. What's interesting is Paul doesn't ever say don't have anything to do with sinners. Paul is fine with people hanging out with sinners. He's totally fine with believers hanging around with non-believers. And you know who else was totally fine with that? Jesus. Jesus is like, he, he doesn't speak against you being around people who are sinners. Because here's the thing about people who are sinners. They're, they're shameless about it. They're sinning wide open. They're, they're not posting anything other than sin on Instagram. But people who are like this, people that Paul's talking about, these are the people who, who they act one way when they're in one place and they act another way when they're another. And you've, no, you've never been those people, but you've known people like that. People who Saturday night are getting toe up, but on Sunday morning, they act like, because it's, it's tradition or whatever it may be. They're doing all their ceremonies, and Paul says, mm-mm, play. Don't, please, don't even surround yourself with people like that, because why? Watch this. They're the kind who worm their way into homes, who gain control over gullible people who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Tell me that the enemy isn't worming his way into our homes through our TVs and our phones and our tablets with what we stream or surf or through our social. And he says that these people, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You, you, you ever meet somebody who simultaneously knows everything and nothing? Who could tell you everything that's going on in the world, but nothing that's going on in their house? And Paul's saying, don't be that guy. He says, just like Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. And in case you're wondering, Janice and Jambres are the, are the magicians in Exodus who duplicated Moses' miracles before Pharaoh. And, and so you had Moses and Aaron who were like, uh, they were like a... Like a the Wonder Twins. You guys remember the Justice thing? Wonder Twin powers activate, form of... You have no other nerds here? Thank you. Shape of this. I, I used to love, there are the Wonder Twins movie coming out, by the way, but whatever. It's like, they were like these two, like, and they felt like they were anointed, they were called, God had given them this special mandate, this mantle, and that they were going to walk in, and they were going to perform these miracles, and Pharaoh was going to go, oh God, you're right, go. But what happened was, they came in and started performing miracles, and Pharaoh still had the clapper. You remember the clapper? And his magicians came in, Jannies and Jambres. And, and for a period of time, everything that Moses and Aaron did, they did the same thing. And so Aaron threw his staff down, and it turned into a snake, and Jannies said, okay, playboy. Cobra. I don't know if it was a cobra, but that would be dope. Moses turned water to blood. Jambres said, okay, pakao. He turned water into blood. They, they called frogs in from the countryside into the city. Jennies and Jambres did the same thing. They were able to turn all of the stuff that Moses and Aaron did 
until Moses turned gnats from sand. And when Moses created gnats out of sand, the magicians acknowledged their inability because only God is the creator of life. And so like Paul is saying, Timothy, it's like these guys, it's like these guys, they were, they were artificial, they were duplicates, they were copies, they, they had a certain level of ability and you are going to be surrounded by people like that who, who they have a form of godliness but they can't duplicate the power of God. But me on the other hand, and Paul is very infrequent that he would toot his own horn. He says, me on the other hand, you know my teaching, you know my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, my persecutions and my sufferings. He's like, bro, you know I'm the real deal. I'm not faking, I'm not fronting. You know the kind of things that happened to me in Antioch, like, like they kicked him out of the city. He says, you know what happened to me at Iconium? He says, I was almost stoned and not like the I didn't inhale type, like they tried to kill him with rocks. He says, you know what happened to me in Lystra? And what happened to him in Lystra is that he performed some miracles and then they tried to worship him like a god. And when he, when he denied being worshiped like a god, they got mad and they tried to murder him. And he's like, Timothy, you know all that. You know all the persecutions that I endured, and yet you understand that the Lord, he rescued me from all of that. You saw it, Timothy. You saw the persecutions and the deliverance. Like Paul had this uncanny way of like letting people see both sides of the coin for him. And guys, we have to do the same thing. We have to let people see both because we're really good at letting people see us bleed. But we're not very good at letting people see his rescue and our recovery. Like some of you, if all that happened to you is what you post on social media, I would think, man, I would be sad for you too because it's like you, if you could encapsulate your life, it would be this emoji. Let people see some of the victories in your life. Acknowledge some of the things that you have to be thankful for, but we're really good at letting people see our drama, but not at letting people see his deliverance. And I think it's because hurt people get a lot more attention than healed people. And because hurt people get more attention than healed people, it has created an entire generation that would rather be wounded than be warriors. But Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus is going to be persecuted. Why? Because it is in our recovery that people are encouraged. Like, why do you think we did the Rise After the Fall series? Because I wanted you to be influenced by worshiping warriors, by gnarly guys who had pasts and baggage and criminal records, who not only became more ferocious warriors, but became unapologetic worshipers, who sang and danced and worshiped God. You know, dudes love scars. Just love them. scars. Scars are grim. Maybe you got somebody in your house, a guy in your house, maybe your husband or your dad. Hey, man, ever tell you a story about this? You see this scar here? Let me tell you a story about that. See that thing in my eyebrow? You just can't even grow a full eyebrow anymore. You want to tell that story? You're like, bro, yesterday. Like, you tell us that story six times a day. Like, yes, because dudes love scars. My son, Isaiah, he, he loves loves scars. And the more he talks about his scars, the better the story gets, incidentally, which is awesome. It's like, bro, I, don't, I didn't even remember that you were at war. Like, that was crazy. I thought you dropped a glass on your foot. That's it's insane. In fact, he loves scars so much, he really wants a brand. You know, like when you get pledge and they put a, 
a brand on you. And I did try to brand me when I went to Minnesota. I was like, the devil is a liar. First of all, yours is crooked. That's weird. That's going to be there the rest of your life. You should have had somebody who's better with a coat hanger give you your brand. But the thing about a brand is that you, you got to, uh, once, they, once they brand you, you got to pick at it. You got to, to get the maximum puffiness of, of the bread. So like my son loves scars because dudes, we love scars. You know why? Because scars tell great stories. I got a couple scars. I got one right in the middle of my head and it's, it's not a great story. My brother was cutting the lawn one time. He ran over a rock, it threw it across the yard, hit me right in the middle of my head, knocked me out. And that's just got a scar for the rest of my life. You tell that story, people are like, bro, you got scarred by a lawnmower? What a loser. I got one here on my wrist, and it's such a bad story, I've forgotten what the story is. I go, dude, how'd I get that scar? Was I born with, I wonder if you could be born with scars. I don't know. If you're a twin, maybe, because you guys were fighting in the womb. I'm just saying, like, I got a scar. I don't even remember where it came from. What a waste of a scar. But I got one scar on my finger. This scar is so sick. Have I ever told you guys a story about the scar? Oh, guys, this is the greatest story. This senior in high school, we're playing in the playoffs, and, uh, we were up, it's fourth quarter, and the team is driving on us, man. They're like driving, 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 and, and they're, just, they're just pounding the rock. They won't stop running the ball, and I played the, what do you call the Mike backer? I played middle linebacker, and our specialty was stopping the run, and so, so well, here's what we knew. We knew. We knew if they put the tight end out, out wide that they were going to run a slant, and so they put the tight end out wide, and my coach, Bob Miller, he calls from the sideline. He, he called a a mic blitz. I said, oh, snap. Because the only, the, the only thing better than a blitz for a linebacker is nothing. There's nothing on earth other than raw meat that's better than that. And so I was so, I was so amped. I was so excited. And the, the quarterback dropped back and I ran my blitz and nobody blocked me. This was the greatest day of my life. And I wrapped him up. And this is when you could still hit people in football, and so I tried to put my helmet through his face, and it was like, I hit him with the crown of my helmet in his face mask, I wrapped up, I had my hands, I mean, perfect form. But out of nowhere, our outside linebacker also came on a blitz, and when he came on the blitz, he put the crown of his helmet in the side of the quarterback's helmet, and my finger was there when he hit him in the side of his helmet, and it got stuck where the face mask meets with the helmet, and so then the quarterback spun, and when he spun, my body went one way, and my, my arm went the other way, and it spiral broke my finger and snapped it, and the only thing that was left, you know that little knuckle meat that you have right there? A little knuckle skin right there, and the whole finger went whoop down, and the bone was sticking up and blood was like, it was like a Jason movie. And I was in shock. So I was sat like this. I was trying to get my finger off my finger. And, and so I came off the sideline and they looked at my finger and uh, my coach, Bob Miller, he, well, I'll never forget this. He walks over, it's fourth quarter, playoffs. I said, coach, I think I just ripped my finger off. He said like this. You think you can go back in? <laughs> I said, Coach, I think I just ripped my finger off. He goes, it's playoffs! It's fourth quarter! He looks at a team doc, he looks at the doc, he goes, you got the, the needle? I'm like, what needle? He pulls out this needle full of cortisone and sticks it in the end of my finger, fills it, puts the finger back up, puts a little tape on it. 
And Bob Miller slaps me in the butt and sets me back in the game. I had to later go to the ER. They had to, they had to undo. Do you know how bad it is to take an athletic tape off of a wound? Oh, my gosh. That was worse than ripping it in half. And so then they had to clean it up and they had to just stitch it inside and out. And now to this day, this is like, I don't know, 30 years later, you can still feel the nerves move around because there's nerve damage. And sometimes when I grab something to pick it up, oh, you remember, oh, but it's a great story. And it's the greatest. Other than getting married and having kids, it was the greatest moment of my life. Because scars tell great stories. And Paul says, mark this, make note of it, write it down. There are going to be terrible times in your heart and in your mind in your careers and finances and relationships, in your marriages and with your kids. You're gonna take some hits. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. You're gonna sustain some wounds. You're gonna get some scars. People are gonna hate on you and hurt you. People are gonna oppose you, even try to mislead you. But trust me, just like Jannies and Jambres, these guys, they're not gonna get far because the creator of life the one who can turn sand into gnats, can turn those little gnats in your life back to sand that falls underneath your feet. He can turn your wounds into weapons as he turns the scars of today into great success stories of tomorrow. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Some of you are in the fight right now. You're in the middle of the battle. And whether it's 800 men in a field, or it's Goliath across the canyon. Some of you right now are fighting for your marriages, and you're fighting for your finances, and you're fighting for your kids, you're fighting for your mental health. I hate to be the one to tell you that it's just, it's part of the gig, and it sucks, and I wish you didn't have to go through it. But God is a God of restoration. And whatever it is that you're going through, he's already planning on the through. He's not planning on you getting stuck where you are. And some of you have just decided to stop walking, stop running, stop fighting, stop going through what you're going through. And can I tell you today that if you stop, you'll die. Life is about movement. So I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, uh, my life, it is, it is like the biggest albatross. I I can't take it anymore. I've tried everything on my own and none of it has worked. If that's you, you're in the right place because God is a God of deliverance. God is a God who wants to take all of the problems and pain that you have in your life and help you carry them. It, It happens through this process that's called salvation. Salvation just means that you surrender yourself to the Savior. You, you just give up control and you say, I, I, I've tried all this on my own and I can't do it. And so God, I give it up to you. Will you help me? And so this morning, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Salvation really takes two things. It takes confession and profession. You have to confess that you're a sinner and you have to profess that God can change you. And so today I want to give you the opportunity to do both of those things. And here's how. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First, I'm going to ask in just a moment for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, but would like to before they leave here to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact, 
you can put your hand down. It's just your way of confessing. Secondly, I'm gonna pray a few lines in a prayer, then I'm gonna pause. And if you repeat what I said, and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. That's your way of professing that Jesus can change you. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to before I leave this place with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Thank you. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody? Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it anymore. Will you take it? Will you forgive it? Will you be my Lord and will you be my Savior in Jesus' name? Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I would love the opportunity to connect with you. Here's how you can help me do that. Take the hello card that's in the seat back in front of you. Take it out. Tear off the bottom part. Fill in whatever information you're okay with us having. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow. It says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. You can either take it to the Welcome Center before you leave, or you can put it in the black buckets, or you can also scan the QR code. It's on the screen behind me or on your seat back, and we'll get the opportunity to do that too. The next logical step biblically for people who receive the Lord is water baptism. There's 27 baptisms in the scriptures, and they are all done to adults post salvation. Almost all of them happen immediately after salvation, actually. And so we are going to take part in water baptism here this morning. We've got a tank set up out towards the parking lot. And there's a bunch of people that have signed up for it, but maybe you're here and you haven't signed up for it. Maybe you just got saved and you're like, well, I, cool, I might, as well, I might as well do that right now. Maybe you didn't bring clothes for it. That's fine. You're gonna, uh, we got towels. You can dry off. We got shirts. You could even get a new shirt out of the deal. Some people, hey, listen, people sign up for credit cards to get a new t-shirt. Some people get baptized to get a new t-shirt. So either way, you could go home semi-dry. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time before we receive the Lord's tithes and your offering. I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm saved, uh, but I've not been a worshiping warrior. Maybe you've been passive in your faith, and that's why it hasn't been working. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I want to take the next step in my faith and I want to become aggressive with it, I would like to become a worshiping warrior with, with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Yeah. Jesus, for these friends in this place, so many who, who want to go all in, God, who want to be worshiping warriors, I pray blessings on them, courage over them, strength and protection in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.